smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we're continuing our series, The Gospel According to Moses. In this episode, Matt Waldron is speaking to us from Leviticus 16, verses 1 to 22, Gospel Relationship. Here's Matt. Okie dokie. Thank you very much for reading Leviticus 16, 1 to 22, uh, describing the, the basics of the Day of Atonement, where the high priest could once a year enter into the tabernacle, into the most holy place, into God's very presence, just once a year. And there were the extra sacrifices, and including one sacrifice that you went and stuck out in the desert by itself. What, what's that all about? Well, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that although we don't need to do any of those things anymore because Jesus has fulfilled them, uh, that teaching is for us to appreciate the relationship we have with God in Jesus. So let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 6. This is talking about the tabernacle. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So... That's potentially a lot to swallow. Let me try and put it in a nutshell for you. As I said, the book of Leviticus has these instructions for the uh, Jewish religious system of the tabernacle and then the temple, the sacrifices, the laws for ritual holiness, all that kind of stuff. And those instructions, we don't need to do them anymore because Jesus has fulfilled them, but they're still for this present time as an illustration for us to understand the relationship we have with God in Jesus. So this is our third look at the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, and we're seeing how these point to Jesus and help us grow in knowing God in Jesus. So today, the book of Leviticus, gospel relationship. 
So uh, last week we saw in the book of Exodus that the book of Exodus had two big halves. The first half was about freedom from slavery to Pharaoh and the second half was about freedom to serve Yahweh. And in the second half we saw covenant worship established on Mount Sinai and then the plans given for the traveling worship tabernacle, how they could have this covenant worship, this relationship with God as they traveled through the desert. But this uh, relationship was broken by the uh, people as they made a golden calf to worship uh, but it was renewed uh, by Moses mediating with God and so finally the traveling worship tabernacle is established and God's presence comes to the tabernacle but they've got this ongoing question how are we going to be able to have a relationship with God when the people keep breaking the covenant uh, God is faithful but the people aren't God is holy but the people are sinful and so that's where we come to the book of Leviticus with these questions. What sort of relationship can the people have through the tabernacle and what's going to be done about sin? So uh, if you've uh, never read the book of Leviticus before, the big three things I want you to uh, notice as we go through the book of Leviticus uh, is that a gospel relationship consists of salvation, celebration and imitation. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember those three words, salvation, celebration and and imitation. If you're quite familiar with the book of uh, Leviticus, you might be looking out for, oh dear, me pressing the wrong buttons. That's the thing to be looking out for. Hang on. How is personal relationship with God connected to God's work in history? Okay, but mostly we're going to be concentrating on salvation, celebration, imitation. So the book of Leviticus follows the hamburger structure, which is very popular in the Bible. Uh, what I mean is the meat is in the middle and then it's essentially symmetrical before and after that, uh, though there's, you know, potentially salad lurking in unexpected places. So with the book of Leviticus, uh, it's... Uh, starts and ends with uh, the ritual sacrifices in chapters 1 to 7 and the ritual festivals in chapter 23 to 25. So you have all these sacrifices to do in the tabernacle in relationship with God and then you have the calendar of events where, which you celebrated primarily by doing those sacrifices at the end of the book. Then the next layer in, chapters 8 to 10, the priesthood starts. The second last section, chapters 21 to 22, the priesthood requirements. Then the next layer in, chapters 11 to 15, ritual holiness. The third last section, 18 to 20, moral holiness. The meat in the middle of the book of Leviticus, chapters 16 to 17, is the day of atonement. And then the little bit of garnish on the end is encouragement and warning, chapters 26 to 27, to uh, the people of Israel to make sure they follow these instructions to make the most of their relationship with God. So I'm going to walk you through that. We're going to start off a bit slow and then kind of speed off once we get ourselves established. So let's look at the ritual sacrifices and festivals. So the ritual sacrifices consist of kind of roughly three big categories. There's the burnt and grain offerings, which are basically praising God, the fellowship offering, which is celebrating together, and the sin and guilt offerings, which are about forgiveness. Let me read you a couple of verses from each of those, just so you get a flavour. I guess my big aim for uh, this series is to give you a feel of what's in the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, so that you can read it and enjoy it and hear God speak to you uh, in it for yourself. So let's give you a little taste of Leviticus so you can kind of get the sense of it. So uh, let's look at chapter, Leviticus chapter 1. If you're a quick Bible flipper, we're all going to be in Leviticus, so it's not going to be too hard to keep up, but if you want to just listen, 
that's fine as well. Uh, Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Uh, If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons the priests shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, and a roaming aroma pleasing to the Lord. So the two things I just want to point out there is they took the whole, the whole animal and they burnt the whole thing. So they're giving this, this good animal, the best animal, and they're presenting it to God and burning the whole thing. So they, they get nothing from it. They're just giving the whole animal to God, one of the best animals. Uh, and so that's a way of expressing praise to God, that God deserves this. God is worthy of this. God is, uh, to put it crassly, I guess, God is worthy of wasting yourself on. Uh, it's also worth noticing, just in passing, that it, it mentions here that this is to make atonement. And so although there are different emphases to the different sacrifices, there's this common thread that uh, we are sinners, that we've fallen short of God's glory, and so there needs to be a way of dealing with that. So they have uh, this in common, and then there's also different emphases in the different sacrifices. So the burnt and grain offerings emphasize praise. The fellowship offerings uh, emphasize celebrating together. So chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 says, The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering, a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or any blood. So the little implication there that you can easily just rush past is that you eat the rest of this sacrifice yourself. The fellowship offerings, you come and you eat, you give God the best bits, right? All the fat is the Lord's, which may not sound like it in our culture, but back then that was the best bits. All the best bits God gets, and then you eat the rest together. You're celebrating together. It becomes even clearer down in chapter 7, 11. Uh, These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. So verse 12, if they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, they offer thick loaves made without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil and thick loaves of the finest flour, well kneaded and well mixed, mixed in. And then down in verse 16, if however their offering is the result of a vow or is a free will offering, the sacrifice shall be eaten, etc. So they're celebrating together. They could be particularly thankful for something. They could, be, uh, they could have vowed, you know, God, if you help me with this, uh, I'll celebrate with you by doing this sacrifice. Or it could just be a free will offering. I just feel like celebrating. Let's get together with God and have a party. So fellowship offerings, celebrating together. Sin and guilt offerings were more emphasizing forgiveness. Uh, so chapter 4, verse 16 is one example. Then the anointed priest is to take some of the bull's blood into the tent of meeting. Oh, why did I go with that verse? Huh. That seems like a typo. Uh, 
it should be around there though. For a sin offering, and this way he makes atonement for the community. Oh, so verse 20, and do with this bull just as he did with the bull for the sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the community and they will be forgiven. That's what I was trying to get to. So three general categories of sacrifices with some different details involved. Burnt and grain offerings are emphasizing praising God. Fellowship offerings emphasize celebrating together. And sin and guilty offerings emphasizing forgiveness. And then the ritual festivals, which remember are at the kind of end of the book, apart from the little warning and encouragement. So uh, if we look at chapter 23, verses 39 to 44. Here's a sample of the instructions from the calendar of festivals for ancient Israel. So chapter 23, starting at verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day also is a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from the palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. That's a lot of rejoicing. Uh, celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. So there you go. That's a good sample of the festivals described in those couple of chapters. They're all about remembering and celebrating. Remember what God has done in acting mightily in history for you and celebrate together. So there you go. That, that was a bit of a, a slow start, but hopefully that gives you a good kind of foundation of the book. In the, the beginning and the, the conclusion, the ritual sacrifices and festivals, you have praising God because he is worthy of honour, celebrating together, being forgiven and doing that all throughout the year, remembering what God's done and celebrating together. So that's the uh, kind of buns of the Leviticus hamburger. I feel like I'm in grave danger of mixing my metaphors. I'll try and resist doing that anymore. Okay. So then the next layer in is the, about the priesthood. The priesthood starts in chapters 8 to 10 and the priesthood requirements in chapters 21 to 22. We'll pick up the pace now and just burn through so you can see what the book of Leviticus looks like. And then you have the ritual holiness in chapters 11 to 15 and the moral holiness in chapters 18 to 20. So the priesthood. Uh, the priesthood starts, it's clear that the priests symbolize mediation between the people and God. So the priests have all these uh, fantastic garments and hats and stuff uh, to show that they represent the people to God and they represent God to the people. They have like stones with all the names of the tribes of Israel on them. So clearly they represent the people and they have these uh, kind of signs of God's glory and creation and redemption built into the artwork as well. So they represent the people to God and God to the people. And then we get this description of the first time that the priests did their job. They did the sacrifices that God uh, said they should do. And fire came out from the presence of God and consumed the sacrifices. So instead of them having to just wait for the fire to 
you know, chew up all the meat, fire came out from God's presence in the most holy place and just, it's like God ate the sacrifice in a very scary, symbolic way. Uh, so, but it's fantastic. And all the people fall down and they're, you know, it's fantastic. They're praising God. God's accepting their sacrifice. Things are fantastic. And then um, Aaron's two, two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, think this is fantastic. We're on a roll. So they decide to make up some extra offerings that God had not commanded them to do. And so they go and take these uh, kind of little sensors, little uh, fire pans, and offer unauthorized fire, the text says, things that God had not asked to do. And then fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed not the sacrifices, but consumed Nadab and Abihu. And God says, uh, the people need to know that I am holy. And so then when you get to the second half of the book and the priesthood requirements, it's not surprising that the requirements for holiness are tighter for the priests than for the rest of the people. Right? If they're going to represent the people to God and represent God to the people, the priests need to get this right. It's even more important that they get it right than everybody else. Uh, because this is, the, this is communicating God's relationship with the people. So it's, they're essentially the same kind of requirements as God puts on all his people, but it's just kind of more, you really need to get this right or else nobody will because you're leading the people in this stuff. So that's the, the priesthood starts and the priesthood requirements. The next layer in, as we saw, is the ritual holiness and the moral holiness. So ritual holiness, let's uh, just get a feel for this in chapter 11, verses 44 to 47. Here we go. Chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. So we'll come back to that in a second, but you see he's, he's continually saying, I'm holy, so you need to be holy. I rescued you out of Egypt to be my people so I could be your God. And since I'm a holy God, you need to be a holy people and distinguish between these clean and unclean animals. And so then moral holiness in chapter 19, verses 1 to 14, you'll see there's the same logic, but on this different subject. So Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 to 14. I don't know when I'm going to stop this reading. I have put verse 14 there to stop myself from getting carried away. This is a great passage, but uh, hopefully you'll just get the, get the vibe. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. 
when you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it, or on the next day, anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Okay, I made myself stop. Excellent. But you can see again, it's the same logic. I'm a holy God. Therefore, as my people, you need to be a holy people, even though the subject matter is completely different. So what do we need to see about these things? Well, the first one, I guess, is to know what holiness means. Uh, holy basically means special, except special is nowhere near a strong enough word. We, we use special, we, you know, everyone's special, which is, which is true. Everyone is unique, but, but this is you know, unique, special on a whole other, you know, completely set apart, completely distinct, completely separate, incomparable to anything else. God is holy, set apart, unique. There is nothing remotely like Him. And so God's people need to be unique. They need to be set apart from the rest of the world around them, the rest of the people around them. And so there's two kind of sets of instructions in the book of Leviticus about how to do that. There's the ritual holiness and then the moral holiness. And so in the ritual holiness, it's described as you've got to distinguish between clean and unclean. You've got to distinguish, I mean, once again, to put it very simply, things that are nice and things that are gross. That's that almost sounds too simplistic, but that's the kind of symbolism. It's about purity. Uh, it's, saying, it's saying the world and your life is contaminated. It seems like if you try and look at all the different instructions about what food you can and can't eat, about how to deal with infectious skin diseases, mold in your house, hygiene, all that sort of stuff, the, it seems like it's probably to do with the world being contaminated by death or mortality. That's, that seems to be the common thread. Certainly it's about the world being contaminated. And we know from the rest of the Bible, we've already looked at the book of Genesis, uh, that the world is fallen because human beings have rebelled against God and lived life their own way. We've brought God's curse on the world. And so the world is contaminated and so it seems the ritual holiness instructions are to give people a symbolic idea a symbolic experience of life being contaminated and then the moral holiness instructions are to help them grow to not live that contaminated way uh, and so uh, we just the sample we read from chapter 19 uh, there's the instructions about keeping the sabbath rest uh, making sure you're 
fellowship offerings are eaten in the right way, which would include everybody, uh, making sure the way you harvest your crops leaves uh, some provision for the poor, uh, not stealing, not lying, not deceiving other people, not making false uh, you know, vows, not defrauding, not robbing, uh, paying your staff properly, uh, not making difficult things difficult, uh, but helping people who are blind or deaf, uh, and so on. Basically, look after each other. That's how you be morally holy. So there's the symbolic system to teach them that the world, as we experience it, is contaminated because of sin, and then there's instructions to actually avoid sin by looking after each other. Why? Because this reflects what God is like. God uh, made the world good, as He is good, but it is now contaminated with sin and death. And so we need to know that God is different from that, and we need to be different from that. Oh look, there we go, that's what I just said. Uh, So, Food, hygiene kind of things seem to point to a fallen world and moral holiness seems to all be about love. So, here's Leviticus. The ritual sacrifices at the start, the ritual festivals at the end. The priesthood starts, then the priesthood requirements, another layer in, ritual holiness and moral holiness, and finally we get to the meat, the Day of Atonement. Okay, so four things about the Day of Atonement. Uh, I might read you that reading again because I don't want you to to miss this. I'll read a bit anyway. So chapter 16, this is the high point of the calendar of festivals. You get the the use of the sacrifices on the day. You have the priests performing their functions. You had to make sure that you were ritually holy, ready to participate. And you certainly want to be uh, morally holy and dealing with your shortcomings in that area. So here's the climax of the whole Israel festival year and the climax of the whole book of Leviticus. So chapter 16, starting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And remember the book of Hebrews tells us, this is to teach us the relationship with God that Jesus gives us. Verse 3. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So you've got these sacrifices representing uh, praise and celebrating together and dealing with sin. You've got Aaron... uh, representing the people to God and representing God to the people. He's got to uh, wash himself to remind them that this world is contaminated with sin. And here he comes, verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, which is a symbolic way of saying God gets to choose, right? 
one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So once again, you've got two sacrifices, both representing atonement in different ways. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover so it's not enough to offer a sacrifice for the people the priest has got to offer a sacrifice for himself first just to make it clear that the priest isn't better than the rest of the people right he's got a he's got sin that's got to be dealt with as well and there's this smoke to uh, stand between him and the atonement cover so it's like there needs to be some kind of modesty between him and God because he's contaminated with sin Verse 15, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. See the uncleanness and rebellion. So the uncleanness of the hygiene and food laws represents the real problem, which is their rebellion and sin. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the, Israel, of the Israelites. So he's going around all the furniture, the main furniture of the tabernacle and putting blood on it. So everything about God's relationship with his people, everything can only happen because of God forgiving the sins of his people. There is nothing that people can have in a relationship with God apart from God's forgiveness. Verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So one of the things that's challenging about reading the book of Leviticus is there's, no, there's not a lot of explanation given. There's just these little hints. So what's, what's going on with this goat? Well, the first thing to notice is, when you go and read the sacrifices back in the first seven chapters, if you realized you'd sinned, you had to go and do a sacrifice for that sin. So when he comes and says here, confess all the sins, this is not the only sacrifice for sin for the whole year. This is just the general one. Right? They're supposed to be doing, anytime there's a, a sin, you kind of, you've got to do something about it. You've got to ask for God's forgiveness. But this is the one that says, we are just generally sinners. 
and we just generally need God's forgiveness once a year, right? So if you didn't notice yourself sin all year, you're not off the hook. <laughs> God still knows you're a sinner and you need to know you're a sinner and you need to know that God wants to forgive you. And so that's what this sacrifice says. And the other thing is it's sent out into the wilderness, which the book of Leviticus was given to Moses when they were in the wilderness. Right? So remember, this is at the book, end of the book of Exodus. They've got the traveling worship tabernacle ready to go to travel through the wilderness to the promised land. And this is the point where they get given the book of Leviticus, all the instructions. And they get told to send this goat out into the wilderness they are in the wilderness when they get that instruction. So I think that's the connection they would make, right? The, the goat goes out into the wilderness so that we don't have to go back there. Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be punished rightly. And so we know the way that's fixed is that Jesus is punished. 